or we we almost got to the very very end of our series that we were doing and so we're not in a book right now and when we're not in a book uh i usually go to another book because the reason we preach through a book is that way we take what god says in the order that he says it and i don't just get on a a little hobby horse of my own and and uh, decide what things are important for us to hear but we go through scripture systematically that way and that is definitely going to be the practice that we observe for the most part. But this week we had just finished up and the Lord was teaching me something uh, through some of the study that I'm doing in, in seminary. And uh, this lesson I needed to be reminded of. And so I thought that we could use a reminder as well. We're going to talk about joy today. And I've got a very simple outline that, you could, that I could teach in children's church, okay? But the good part of that is, maybe we can remember it after lunch, okay? So I'm going to go over the outline with us to see if we can remember it. And then maybe this week you can meditate on it some more and think about it. First of all, we're going to talk about how to have joy. And the way you have joy is J-O-Y, right? Jesus, others, yourself. So let's go J-O-Y. We got it? All right, and the sources of joy that we're going to talk about are the character of God the Father, the work of God the Son, and the work of God the Spirit. So we can remember that. It's J-O-Y, and then Father, Son, and Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Now you all will be, uh, you're going to hear my wonderful exegetical skills here. Rejoice always. I'm kidding. We don't really have to do a whole lot of exegesis there, do we? We can tell what that says. Rejoice always. And you may think, well, some things are not not easy to rejoice in. Yeah, I know, but he said always, didn't he? And then just in case that was a slip of the tongue, look with me at Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then if you weren't clear enough, Again, I will say rejoice. All right. So our message today is really easy to understand, but pretty hard to do. And I needed reminded of it this past week, and I want to remind you as well. All right. So let's start out with joy. How do we spell it? J-O-Y. Now, what is it? Um, you know, we can, we can talk about it, but we need to have a definition of what exactly it is because some people think it's, it's just happiness. And I would say that it's not happiness because happiness is based on what is happening to you, all right? Have you ever seen a small child who can go from ecstatic and happy to raging, crazy, nuclear meltdown to happy again in a span of about three minutes? Uh, we can see that right sometimes. Uh, that's because they are very sensitive to what is happening around them, whether or not they're happy. Uh, if if the parents aren't always bowing to their will, sometimes they can get enraged and go nuts, right? And then if something good happens again, they forget about it. Those tears are still on their cheeks, but it's forgotten about and they're happy again. Well, kids can do that. Um, have you ever heard the saying, and Dr. Rogers used to say this fairly often, beauty is skin deep, but ugly goes all the way to the bone? Have you ever heard that? Well, happy is skin deep, 
but joy goes all the way to the bone. Dr. John MacArthur gave a definition of joy that I want to read to you. John MacArthur is a smart guy, been uh, preaching faithfully for a lot of decades now. He says, joy is the experience of well-being that springs from the deep-down confidence that God is in perfect control of everything for my good and His glory. And let me read that one more time because I want us to cement this in our heads. Joy is the experience of well-being that springs from the deep-down confidence that God is in perfect control of everything for my good and His glory. All right, so our first letter in joy is J, which stands, of course, for Jesus. Now, we need to orient our whole life around putting him first. Every day, we need to get up and orient our entire day around putting him first. Here's the mindset that we need to have. We need to take whatever vocation God has called us to, in whatever place God has called us, And leverage that for the advancement of the kingdom. That is how you orient your life to put God first. And it doesn't matter if your vocation is retired person or teacher or doctor or factory worker or oil field worker or business owner. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you take what God has called you to And you orient your life around serving him in that capacity and in that place. You know, the Protestant Reformation helped us think about work. And one of the ways that it helped us think about work is, it is true that pastors are called to be pastors. But it is equally true that teachers are called to be teachers. And factory workers are called to be factory workers. God is entirely sovereign. And so he's going to put you where he wants you, when he wants you there. And so I am, I am really glad that God has called me to be a pastor because that's what I want to do because that's how he's made me. He put that desire in me. And the only way I can be happy, the only way I can be a fish in water is to be a pastor. But he's called you to do whatever he has you doing. And that is because that is what he's given you the ability and the desire to do. And he's put you in a place where you can be a light in that place. Now, if you're a Christian, your first calling is to orient your life around Jesus. And the first way you do that is to obey him. And principally there, I'm talking about everything that he commands, but we know that he commands us, the last thing he tells us is to go and make disciples. And so wherever we are, we need to be making disciples. Uh, Catherine was telling me about a a social event. I don't want to get too specific, uh, lest the person in question uh, see this. But anyway, she was in a situation where she was going to be with a person that she was wanting to witness to. And she was saying something about how um, that wasn't exactly the place she wanted to be. And I said, well, why why are you doing it? And she said, well, I'm doing it because I want to witness to this person that's going to be there. And I thought, yeah, that's... That's what I'm trying to get across to us. Um, Stephanie is a server at, at a restaurant in town, and she uses that opportunity to invite her coworkers to church. Now, she doesn't sit down and give them an entire gospel presentation because you're supposed to be working, and she can't do that. 
but she uses her opportunity there to leverage advancing the kingdom. And she starts inviting people. Now, I know, I hope we all do that, but those people live with me, so I know what they do. So that's what we need to do at work, uh, at play, at leisure. Everything, if we orient our lives around serving God and obeying the Great Commission, then everything becomes an opportunity. You know, we sing that song, As We Go, As We Go, uh, a lot of times we'll sing that song. And what it's about is not just getting together on an occasion and doing outreach, but doing outreach as we go. I mean, what's important to us is what we're going to talk about, right? I have a little advantage there because if anybody ever says, hey, what do you do for a living? I get to, you know, I, <laughs> I get to start talking about church and start talking about spiritual things that I can lead into witnessing to them. But just as we go, we need to talk about what motivates us. And what should motivate us as Christians is obedience to Jesus. First of all, the Great Commission. The next thing is we need to worship Jesus. And guys, I'm not talking about just on Sunday. Uh, Sunday should be your time of corporate worship, but it really should not be your only time of worship. I mean, when I, when I, a lot of times in the morning, uh, but sometime during the day, I'll get up, I'll read the scripture, I'll pray, and I'll also worship through uh, song. And I don't sit there singing by myself, but I'll turn on some great, great song that gets into me, that moves me, that puts me in a, in a humble and worshipful attitude toward God. And then I'll get back into some reading and some praying. Uh, you know, J.D. Greer said that it, the inspiration for a great prayer life is desperation. And so I desperately pray for things. Uh, I desperately pray for lost people. I desperately pray for our church. And so when you desperately pray for things, you get into a good prayer life because you, you have to. There's no other choice. So we need to obey the Lord, we need to worship the Lord, and we need to put everything in our life directed toward Jesus first. The next thing is others. That is our O in joy. If you do it for the appreciation of others and, and getting you, pats on the back for you, then really you're spelling it huge, right? Or yodge or whatever. <laughs> so we don't want to do that. We want to keep Jesus first, others second. And also, if you do it for the appreciation of the others, you're probably not going to get it. Uh, folks are not real good about giving credit where credit is due. But your Father sees, and your Father in heaven will reward you. You know, we had a uh, former church member who called up here one time, and instead of saying, hi, how are you, or anything else, any other lead-in, they started with the secretary and they said, you need to pay my power bill. <laughs> well, I'm glad they called the secretary because if you catch me in a smart aleck moment, I might have said, you don't sound like my wife and I don't remember having you, you know, my wife bearing you either, so I don't think I need to pay your power bill. But thankfully she called the secretary and the secretary was nice and, and called Brother Robert. But folks sometimes just assume that the reason you're here on the planet is to serve them, right? And I know that's annoying. It's, it's, it's bothersome not to be appreciated. But that's not why we do it. We do it because it's the way to serve the Lord. So Jesus first, others second, 
in view of making Jesus first. <laughs> That's why we do the others second. And then the last one is you in our, in our spelling here. And irony, the irony of that is that a lot of times when you put yourself last, that is really the way for you to be happiest. It's the way God designed us. It's the way God made us to operate. And when we operate according to the Word of God and the principles of God, then really putting ourselves last makes us the most joyful. So if we'll get our priorities straight on a daily basis, and mine get messed up overnight. I don't know about yours, but mine get messed up. I need to wake up in the morning and think, here is my mindset for the day. I've got to orient everything around Christ first, others second, and me third, or I will not do it. You know, Luke 9.24 points out one of these ironies in the Christian faith. He says, forever who would save his life, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So Jesus is not, uh, not unfamiliar with these ironies. He'll give those kind of things to us. And we see that, yeah, you think you need to look out for number one. You think you need to take care of yourself. But really, if you make Christ number one, that's what's best for you. So you are going to be the most joyful when you are the most submitted to your creator. You know, submission is, is something I am learning more and more about as I get older. Um, the Lord gave me the opportunity to work as, uh, as a music guy um, when I was doing first in the ministry. And I was working under a pastor, under a worship pastor. And then there was me in charge of the instrumental stuff. And I would have times when our music, uh, our worship leader was a better singer than me, but a less trained and in some ways less competent musician. And so sometimes I'd go to him and I'd say, hey, you know, I've got an idea. Why don't we try this? And he'd say, no, just do what I told you to. And I'd say, yes, sir. And I learned about submission. uh, And that was a good thing. And then I worked as as a worship pastor, under a pastor. And we had some more... um, some more important, some more significant differences. Like we had a lady who was living in a, in a purposely sinful arrangement. And I went to our pastor and I said, hey, we really need to address this for her sake and not just pretend like we don't know about it. And he said, well, nah. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I learned to submit to that even when he was wrong because the Lord had placed me under that authority. Uh, Now, the good news is I went to him and I said, can I go talk to her? And he said, yeah. And so I got to go and and address that and and we helped the lady out. But living in submission daily, hourly to the Lord is, is so much a part of what brings me joy. Now, again, you'd think if you take the reins, you'll have your best life, right? But the truth is you give the Lord the opportunity and to direct your path. And your path is a lot better than it would be if you direct it yourself. All right, we talked about the J, O, and Y. Now let's talk about our source of joy, which is in in the character of God the Father. God is sovereign. Now I know we know that, we've heard that, we've been told it since we were probably in Sunday school. The thing is, sometimes we don't believe he's actually all the way sovereign. 
And that's what separates some Christians from other Christians. All Christians believe that the Lord is sovereign. Some of us just believe that he's really, really sovereign, okay? And that helps us as a source of joy. Anything that comes into your life, whether it's good or whether you perceive it to be bad, is from the Lord. Now, you you may not like that. Um, Brother Mark tells a story of watching an interview one time where this lady who was a pastor and this man, her husband was a pastor. They were co-pastors of this church and lightning had struck their building and their, their church had burned down. And so the news came out there and they said, what do you think about this? Why did, why did God let this happen? And they said, God didn't let this happen. God wouldn't have anything to do with something like this. And uh, man, that is, that is really weird and bad theology because if the Lord's not in control, who's in control? I mean, if he's not in control when you get a diagnosis of cancer, who are you going to talk to? If he's not in control when, when something happens to your kid, who are you going to go to? I mean, God's complete sovereignty is a source of joy. Even if something happens that you don't really like, at least you know who's in control of it. I have a friend... Uh, who I, I was the uh, worship pastor at, at a church formerly. And this lady is one of the most joyful people I've ever met in my life. When she comes into a room, she's smiling, she's energetic, she's fun. She has buried two children and a husband. And she is one of the most joyful people I've ever met. That is only explicable by her faith and dependence on God. So the fact that God is really all the way sovereign over everything good and bad that happens to you is a source of joy. We know that the Bible says all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. And so things happen that don't, that don't appear good and that in themselves aren't good. But thank God he is so sovereign that he can work them for good in his overall will. We, can, we should get joy from the fact that God is righteous. You know, we can, we can receive one of two things from God. We can either receive justice from God, or we can receive mercy from God. But nobody ever receives injustice from God. And that is a great source of joy. Now, personally, I don't want to receive justice from God, because what would be just is for God to judge me based on my sin and my rebellion. And then I would be punished rightfully in hell. So thank God I'm not going to get his righteous judgment. I'm going to get his mercy. But justice is the worst that we can possibly get from God. And that should be a source of joy for us. And it should be a reason that we can witness to people. You know, sometimes I'll tell people the gospel and they'll say, well, what about the guy in Africa that's never heard the gospel. Well, you don't have to worry about that because the worst that anybody's going to get from God is justice, right? Nobody is going to suffer injustice at the hands of God. And the next reason that the character of God the Father is a source of joy is that He is immutable. He's unchangeable. So God is never going to give you justice 
give somebody else mercy, and then give somebody else injustice. His character is fixed. His character is righteous. And so God is going to do what is right to do in every circumstance, and he's never, ever going to change from that. And we can depend on the stability and the unchanging nature of who he is. So God the Father's character is, should be a source of joy. The work of God the Son should be a source of joy. You know, First um, John 1, nine says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that, is, that can be a confusing verse because you say, all right, he's faithful to forgive us our sins. That's great. How can he be just, though, to forgive us our sins? Martin Luther struggled with this. He was trying to figure out how God could call you righteous when you weren't, in fact, righteous. And part of what led to his study and his examination that got him to the point of salvation was he said, oh, I get it now. It's a foreign righteousness. It's not that God has taken me who is unrighteous and saying, all right, well, magically I'm going to call you righteous even though you're not. He understood that it's a foreign righteousness, a righteousness not of his own that was being applied to him and that brought him to understand the gospel. You know, we are debtors. Uh, If I were to pull my car out today and hit Jimmy's Lincoln, are you in your Lincoln today? (laughs) All right. If I hit Jimmy's Lincoln, uh, I don't think he'd get real mad at me because he's a nice guy. Uh, But he would expect me to fix it, right? Or he'd expect my insurance to fix it. But if he came to me and he said, you know, man, don't, don't worry about it. I don't want you to have to pay that deductible. Don't worry about it. Well, that would cost him something, right? I mean, that would cost him the repair of his vehicle. You can't just dole out forgiveness and it not cost you anything. It costs you to forgive, and it costs God to forgive us. But this, our, our guilt, though, is more like a criminal trial. I mean, we have offended God. If God were to judge me just based on my behavior, he would find me guilty of treason against the king of kings. And he would find me guilty of multiple counts of treason against the king of kings. And you know the penalty for treason is death, right? And so my penalty under God's righteous judgment is death. And that had to be paid. And the work of the son, he paid that debt that I owed. I specifically owed death. And that's what he paid for me. And he cleansed my record from here on out. Finally, if you see debt kind of like a financial thing, you can say, well, we owe a lot. You know, Jesus made this comparison because he said, hey, if a man owes a ton of money and his creditor comes and says, hey, I'm going to put you in jail if you don't pay this back. And the guy begs and the creditor says, "Okay, I'll forgive you your debt. And then that guy goes out and sees somebody that owes him a little bit of money. And that guy says, oh, I'm, I'm just... Wait a little while, I'm so sorry, I will pay you back. And he doesn't, he doesn't give him any mercy. He grabs him and throws him in jail. Then the first creditor that forgave the guy the huge debt, he's not going to be happy about that. He's going to say, look, you got forgiven a lot, and you wouldn't show mercy to anybody else, right? So the point of that story is, when God forgives us, we are to freely forgive others. And that free forgiveness is a key to having joy. Guys, the, kind of the opposite of joy is bitterness. 
And we can hang on to bitterness when we feel like somebody owes us something. We feel like somebody owes us appreciation they don't give us. We feel like somebody owes us uh, praise for what we've done. We feel like somebody owes us because they have wronged us and they haven't groveled enough for us to forgive them. But if we'll take just a minute and see how much we've been forgiven, we can let go of that bitterness pretty quickly. And that will lead to joy. And you know, Jesus asked the the people that were there, he said, who's going to forgive, who's going to love more, the guy that's forgiven a little or the guy that's forgiven a lot? And they rightly answered the guy that's forgiven a lot. I was in a worship service one time in Pontiac, Michigan, with some people who were, uh, they were addicted to things, they were in lives of prostitution, and they had come into this place to get clean, to get fixed, to get saved, to get their, their life back on track. And that was one of the most remarkable worship services I have ever been in. And I figured out why. It's because they were, they were very much in touch with the fact that they had been forgiven much. Guys, they hadn't been forgiven any more than me. I just told you that I've committed treason against the king of kings by sinning and had the death penalty. You can't get worse than that, right? And so we need to realize for a minute how much we've been forgiven. And that is going to be a source of tremendous joy for us. You know, speaking of finances, I told you guys a while back how to get rich and not a single one of you has done it. (laughs) I told you all you got to do is find a millionaire and marry him, right? Or marry her. Well, I don't want you married people taking that advice, but we've got a lot of widows and widowers in here. uh, And you haven't taken that advice either. Well, spiritually, we are debtors. But amazingly enough, there's one with unlimited resources that is willing to join himself to us. And then not only will we get out of debt, but we'll be credited with his righteousness. That is amazing. That is a source of joy for us. I remind you often that 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That means the Father made Christ to be sin, to, to pay for, to take care of our sin. Then the rest of that says, So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That is that massive fortune of righteousness being deposited into our account. And that should bring you joy. All right, so we talked about the character of God the Father, the work of God the Son. Now let's quickly talk about the work of God the Spirit. (coughs) Joy is the proper response to the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives. You know, the Spirit is the promise or the the surety or the down payment or the earnest money of our salvation. The Holy Spirit seals and secures us. Let's read in Ephesians 1.13. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Guys, if anybody ever asks you, why do you believe once saved, always saved, tell them because the Bible teaches it. It says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. 
Not until we might lose it, but until we acquire it. God saved me. God will keep me. And is that to my praise? No, it is all to His praise and His glory. Because He's the one that did the saving and He's the one that does the keeping. Let that be a source of joy for you. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans eight fifteen and 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit seals us. The Holy Spirit bears witness within us that we are Christ's. And then the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. The process of sanctification is the Spirit transforming us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit in you should be increasing your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. If that's not happening, then there's a cause for concern. If it is happening, there's a cause for joy. So guys, I'm thinking... That if we will remember these, these fingers here, we'll be able to remind ourselves why we need to have joy. First, the way to have joy is put Jesus first, others second, yourself third. And then if we say, well, but I need some sources of joy. All right, think about the character of God the Father. Think about the work of God the Son on your behalf. And then think about the continuing presence indwelling and working of the Spirit in your life. And these should be good sources of joy. I have people around me who, uh, who are good models for this. Um, you need folks in your life that are full of joy, that joy comes naturally to. Uh, I don't think you guys would believe how goofy and weird I am with my kids. You know, <laughs> We have a lot of fun. Uh, There's not a time that you're around me for more than just a few minutes where I'm not touching or hugging one of my kids, right? My kids are a great source of joy for me, and I hope you have somebody like that in your life. If you don't, I know I sound like a broken record, get in a small group (laughs) because we have fun in there. We get together and we fellowship and we earnestly love each other. And it's a time of joy and, and friendship. We need that. We really need that. So let me encourage you to do that. Now the way that we can uh, get into this in the first place is through that work that we talked about that the Son did on our behalf. Now I've already explained, guys, that, that Jesus has taken our sin and paid for it on the cross. And that he has given us his righteousness. You know, our Catholic friends will talk about a treasury of merit. They think that these saints that they are concerned with have more merit than they actually needed to get to heaven. And so sometimes these saints can disperse merit to a regular old person. Well, that's nonsense, but Jesus Christ can and does give his merit to us. And that's how we can be in good fellowship with the Father. So if you're here today and you're not certain, 100% certain, that if you died, you'd go to heaven, you need to come talk to me because 
We can fix that. We can fix that through your repenting and placing your faith in the work of the Son of God. There are times when I need to express more joy because people around me are watching me. And if they watch me and I'm full of joy, that's going to give the right impression about the work of Christ in me. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not a joyful person, let me tell you, it's going to affect your witness. And that's why I was convicted about this this week. I read about joy and I did some studying about joy. And I thought, you know, when people run into me, they need to see that I believe what I say because I am full of joy. So let me encourage you to be that way as well.